Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. We left off uh, at the end of Hebrews chapter 4 last week, and we're going to back up just a little bit, because we're going to be talking about the priesthood of Jesus. Now, Jesus has many titles, many, many titles, many names, and uh, he is a king, king of the Jews. We uh, read where he is an apostle, capital A, apostle, and he is a high priest. Now, you can go back into the Old Testament and see where a king tried to be a priest and got in big trouble for it. If a priest tried to be a king, that would be no good. So, as we read chapter 5, we're going we're gonna to get a, we're going to back up a few verses, start with 14, because that goes with chapter 5, and we're going to talk about Jesus being our high priest. And how is that possible? Because if you go by what the Old Testament says, as far as kings acting as priests, and how bad that was, how can Jesus justify being a high priest? Because he is not from the tribe of Levi. So, is Jesus doing something wrong? That's an easy question to answer. Is Jesus doing something wrong? No. Very easy answer. So if it seems like Jesus is doing something wrong, then you're wrong. If you think he's doing something wrong, you are definitely wrong. So, Jesus is better than. He's better, better, better throughout Hebrews. Alright, starting with verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now last week I shared that story of the little boy in England who went to find the king, and he was not permitted access to the king. He was just a little common boy. He had traveled so far. He wanted to go and... uh, go to the throne and tell the person who was in charge and that maybe that person would help them and help his family and help those people that were so poor and needy. But he was turned away and turned away only to run into the Prince of Wales who listened to his uh, pleas, took his hand and walked right into the castle. All the doors were opened up to him And the Prince of Wales was the king's very son that was able to give access to this nobody, this little boy. 
And that was a picture of Jesus being our Prince of Peace. If we would take his hand, he will take us right to the throne of God, his Father. And we are able to go to that throne of grace that we see there in verse 16. Jesus being a priest is a go-between between man on earth and God in heaven. Chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things per pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now he's taking us back to the office of a high priest. And that's what the tribe of Levi was set apart. The sons of Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, could be high priests. So, but only the sons of Aaron could be high priests. And these men were men like all of us. And they would go in and do this job of offering gifts and sacrifices for the people to cover their sins. Verse 2, Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? So yes, the high priest would know a lot about mankind, but we just read about Jesus being tempted in all points, and the difference is Jesus is able to be that sacrifice which eliminated the gifts and the sacrifices that the high priest, the, the, just a common person uh, from the tribe of Levi who, could, who would work these sacrifices for the people, that, would, that was only temporary. But what Jesus is going to do, what he did, is he became the sacrifice so that he can once and for all shed that precious blood. And Jesus had to be perfect. He had to be sinless to be able to be the sacrifice. So the high priest, there's no way, the normal high priest, was. there's no way that they could be that because they were common men just like we are. And by reason here, this is verse 3, and by reason hereof he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. See, he had to, he had to offer for himself too because he was a sinner like the rest of us, but not Jesus. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Not just anybody could say, you know what, I want to grow up and be a high priest. It had to be somebody that was called of God to be able to do it, as was Aaron. You had to be in the line of Aaron. Five, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. He didn't come. Jesus didn't show up saying, I am the high priest. He was very humble. He didn't, he didn't bring glory to himself. He let God bring glory to him. He let the Holy Spirit bring glory to him in the future. But he himself was uh, a man of sorrows, he was very humble in everything that he did. He didn't show up saying he was the high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, 
thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So where was that other place? And we, we, we know about Melchizedek in uh, Genesis chapter 14. So let's read that real quick. I just want to kind of go over the story. And it was the... Abraham, his name was Abram back then, and he had a nephew named Lot. And Lot lived in a city called Sodom. And all the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, and there was three other ones. There was five kings that were together. And if you, if you, read, if you read chapter 14 of Genesis, it seems like they... All of these kings, there's nine total listed here in 14. But what we're reading about is the four kings going after the five kings because evidently the five kings had rebelled against the one king who had kind of taken over all of it, and his name was uh, Ched Orlaib Omar. If y'all can say it better, feel free to shout it out. I know somebody out there is wanting to shout out this name. Ched or Laomer, king of Elam. And then there's these other kings. But he, he was the guy who kind of took over. And when you get down to verse 4, it says, well, actually verse 3, it says, all these were joined together in the vale of Siddam, which is the salt sea, Twelve years they served this Ched or Laomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. Thirteen. Rebellion. And then in the fourteenth year, uh, he went after them. And if you, if you remember the story, the couple kings there, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, they fell in the slime pits, and they were all they were they were they were whipped. Their, their cities were taken by these other kings, and Lot was taken as well. He was kidnapped. And all of the stuff of these cities, they were all taken by these other kings, and there was one who escaped. There's always one who escapes, right? And he goes to I keep wanting to say Abraham. His name was Abram at the time. But he goes to him, he goes to Abraham, and he says, this is what happened. Abraham is a guy who is out in the country, living his life. He's not concerned about all these... He knows stuff bad is going to go on in the cities, and he has purposely stayed away from all of that. I don't think he was too concerned, but the guy said they got lot. And Abram went, what? And he got together all of the people of his house, all the hired servants, all the people, and they must have been very well trained. They took up arms, and off they went. And they went after these kings and wiped them out, recovered all the people that were taken and all the stuff, and brought it back. You gotta be careful messing with these country boys. They don't want no harm. But if you do something to their loved ones, you better watch out. 
So they went and uh, recovered them. And then in 17, it says, And the king of Sodom went out. This is, this, we're still in Genesis uh, chapter 14. I'm over at verse 17 now. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of... Come on, say it. Ched or Laomer and of the kings that, that were with him at the valley of Shaba or Sheba, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. There was a Salem over there. Whoa, pretty cool. But we know that's Jerusalem. Brought forth, so Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. I got, I got bread and wine up here tonight, today, right out here. And we're going, we're going to take the bread and the wine. Melchizedek, this is, this is the time of Abraham, before his name was even changed to Abraham. And there's this priest named Melchizedek who brought forth bread and wine. Why would he do that? How does he know way back then the significance of the bread and the wine? Way back then. And he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Now the king of Sodom, he, he just wanted the people back. He told Abraham to keep all the stuff. And Abraham's like, nope, don't want anybody saying that you made me rich. I'm blessed by God alone. And then he gave everything back other than what his men, all the guys who went out and risked their lives, he said, let them have their portion and he gave a tenth to Melchizedek, who was the high priest. He, he was the priest of God way back then. Do you realize how much more time has to pass before Abraham has Isaac? Isaac, who does he have? Who's his son? Jacob, Esau, but Jacob... And then Jacob has 12, one of them being Levi, who the priests come from. You realize how much further down the line. And now here is Abraham, who out of his loins comes the people that get the tithe, and he's tithing to this Melchizedek. Wow. And then you don't see anything about him after this, and then you go to Psalm 110, I've got it marked, you don't have to go there if you don't want, but Psalm 110, if you're really fast, you know where it is, you can turn there if you want, so we're going to read Psalm 110, it's very short, it's only seven verses, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Remember that Melchizedek told Abraham that God delivered his enemies into his hand. 
When we follow the Lord, we keep His ways and His commandments, and we want to honor Him in everything we do, then a whole lot of life's problems and enemies are already taken care of. There's so many things we don't have to come up against, don't have to fight, because He's already won the battle for us. Verse 2 of Psalm 110, The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. That means he won't change his mind. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now there's Melchizedek being talked about in Psalm 110. Now back to Hebrews. Because God called a certain people to be priests, God did. Jesus didn't proclaim himself to be a high priest, but God said, the Father said, Jesus is God, the Father said, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. True salvation is eternal. True salvation is very, very sure to each person who truly believes on this high priest, Jesus Christ, who is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is not doing anything wrong by being a high priest here because God said, You are an even better priest than the priest that offered the sacrifices in the tabernacle or in the temple. Verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, I've already shown you in the book of Hebrews how you can make an argument by what we're reading in Hebrews. I even jumped up to chapter 6 a few weeks ago and had somebody come to me with that verse and said, look at this. Tell me again what you're saying about this. 
because I, I can show you verses that would make you think you could lose your salvation. That is conditional. And I, and I can say, you must continue to believe. The Bible says you must continue to believe. The Bible says if you hold fast that wonderful gospel message that was preached to you, if you hold on to it and endure to the end, but what if you don't endure to the end? And I can show you verses that will make you very scared that you could possibly lose it. And basically, what he's saying here, if you could, if you could, because so many people were going to go back to the old ways, and we're tempted to leave Jesus, and if you could, then you can't be saved if you've left Jesus. You must continue to believe on Him. So, I'm going to try to show you the wording and how you really need to pay attention to the wording to understand so you won't be confused because there's nothing the devil would like more than to get you confused and to start doubting your eternal security, your eternal salvation. He wants you to doubt it. All right, uh, let me keep going before I get into all that that I just teased you about. All right, where was I at? Uh, Ten, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to eventually get into him in detail, so I'm going to try not to get too much into him now, because as we go through chapter 6 and get into chapter 7, we're going to really talk about him. You're going to get a lot more details about Melchizedek that we didn't get in Genesis and he was only mentioned in Psalm 110. <clears throat> but because of him, it gave Christ the right. He is a rightful priest. 11. This is Hebrews 5, chapter 11. I, know, I want to I, I make sure we're in the right spot, because I've already told you to turn here, there, and everywhere. And I just want to make sure we're all back here in chapter 5, verse 11 of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, now, there's these Hebrew people that should have known better. They should be teachers by now. Many of us sat in church for years and years, and we just sat there as babies. We never grew. And we should have got to the point where we were being teachers, but yet we were still in that uh, very immature state of needing to be taught. Like, why? Why are you still here? You should have grown by now. You know, little babies are wonderful, but if they stayed that way and you're still changing diapers after five, six, seven, eight, nine years, it's not so cute anymore. You, 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 you cherish them when they're little, but you want them to grow up and mature. Right? Same way in the church. 
or if you're still drinking milk and you've been drinking milk for how many years? You should be eating strong meat now. You should be growing in your faith. You should be out doing the things that God has called you to do, working in your gifts to serve the Lord. 13, for everyone that useth, useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat, meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By reading the Word of God, you should get to the point where you understand the differences. Unfortunately, we have churches all across America who can't figure it out. We've got people who call themselves pastors of churches who cannot figure it out. The difference between good and evil. And it's very sad. And we're suffering for it as a nation. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, now it doesn't mean you're leaving it as in you're doing away with it, but you're moving on from there. You know, if you get a gospel message of salvation every single Sunday, and you've all accepted Christ, what good is it doing you, is all it's saying. You need to get into the deeper things of the Word of God. So you need to move on. Don't stay there as a little baby and want a salvation message every single week, especially if you've been saved for years and years and years, let us go on unto perfection or completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. All this, sounds, all this stuff sounds great. Why would, it, why would we be told to, to move on from that? Well, you should, you should have all of that by now. The people of Israel, these Jewish people, they were taught in the Old Testament about these things. But you can't get what you're trying to get from Old Testament principles anymore. It's all leading you and pointing you to this high priest, Jesus Christ. And he's done it all for you. He's paid it all for you, and you need to uh, quit thinking so much about the repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You should already have this all figured out. Uh, uh, two, verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms. They had all kinds of washings that they did in the Old Testament times. And of laying on of hands. What, what, what does that mean? People say, oh, I want to get healed. Will you lay hands on me? Not that, it's not, so, not what it's talking about right here, but they would, the, they would lay hands on the animal that was going to be sacrificed. It was symbolic of, you, you know you're a sinner, and you're placing those sins on the sacrificial lamb. Jesus has taken care of all of that. You've got to move on from that old way of doing things. That was a type and picture and then it says, and of uh, <clears throat> resurrection of the dead. They believed in it. 
except for the Sadducees, and of eternal judgment. They knew in the Old Testament that those who did not follow God's ways were going to have eternal judgment. But move on from that. Quit trying to figure it out. Jesus made the way to where you will have eternal salvation. Don't have to worry about the eternal judgment anymore. Move on. And this will we do if God permit. Verse 4, here we are. For, or because, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened... Now, remember what I have said before about the Word of God. The Word of God enlightens your soul. But all by itself will not save your soul. You can know a whole lot about what the Word of God says. You can be really good at memorizing Scripture and not be saved at all. I've met people like that. They have a whole lot of Bible knowledge. Their soul's been enlightened, but there's some other things that they haven't gotten yet, and they're not saved. So this says, for those who were once enlightened and have tasted, that's key right there, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. So you, you put, got this big pot and all kinds of good stuff you've added and you've seasoned it and somebody says, gets this little tiny spoon and gets a little tiny bit of it out and says, will you taste this? And you get a little tiny taste of it, what does it need? What else do I need to put in that? You, just ta- you haven't eaten the meal at all. So this is just a tasting of what we would think of as salvation. They've just tasted it. They've been enlightened. They have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now I can't remember what, something about partakers. They're partakers, but, they're, but they don't, I can't remember the, what, I should have wrote it down. But anyway, that's, that's a, a significant part of it. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, but weren't fully in. And here's another tasted, verse 5, and have tasted the good word of God. You've just got a little bit of it, a little, a little tiny sampling of it. You've tasted it. And the powers of the world to come. Now, you, you're, you've been introduced so that is not a truly saved person. It's somebody who has been turned to the right way. They're participating. They maybe got some knowledge, but they have... So the Holy, the Holy Ghost, in verse 4, is convicting your soul. The Word of God enlightens your soul. The Holy, Go- Holy Ghost is convicting your soul. But what saves your soul? Faith in the Son of God who can save your soul. But you won't have faith in the Son of God if the Word hasn't enlightened your soul and the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted your soul. So now it's up to you with the enlightenment and the conviction to pray that 
your faith in the Son of God can actually save your soul. Now, if you get to that, and you are truly saved, all this is saying is, if it were, it, it, would, it would be impossible if you did get salvation through Jesus Christ and His shed blood, and you left it, if it's, it would be impossible to renew and to become saved again. That's what it's saying here. If it were possible. So, if somebody claims to be born again, they're saved, they're washed in the blood, that's what they claim, and then they end up walking away and they, they go into Islam, and they, they're, they're, they're uh, practicing the Muslim religion. If they really were saved, then they left, if you could, I'm not saying that they really were, because you're going to say they never were saved to start with, and the fruit of them going into Islam is proof that they never actually had it. Okay? The fruit is going to follow what the root is in. If you're rooted in Jesus Christ, you will produce the fruit from Jesus. But if it's not real, you're rooted in something other than Jesus, then thorns and thistles are going to come out. And they're only good to be burned. And that is what will happen. If they, so it is impossible for those who were enlightened, those who were touched by the Holy Ghost, those who have tasted the Word of God, those who uh, have seen the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. For the, here, now, this is cool. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat, or suited for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Now, if you receive the Holy Ghost, we were talking about that in Sunday school, about one of the minor prophets talking about the rain coming in, and it provided everything they needed, and that would be Joel, right? Joel, talking about the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down, and getting into people and bringing forth fruit unto God. The rain and the Holy Spirit, type in picture, rain and the Spirit. So right here, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it. The Holy Spirit is available every single day for you. Let it rain down in you. Verse 8, but, but, that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. It's right here. I just said it a few minutes ago, but it's right here in the Word of God. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So the fruit 
that is produced through true salvation is what we're talking about. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. Amen. Now, what Jesus did on that cross by becoming that sacrifice, he, he told his disciples what he was going to do, that his body was going to be broken and his blood was going to be spilled. And what happened on that cross when he died, the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom and it made the whole temple sacrifice system no good anymore. He had come to be that perfect Lamb of God. So we're remembering that today, and I am going to bring the bread around everybody. This is the broken body of Jesus. And we have the shed blood of Jesus. Now, I want everyone to hold on to the bread and the wine until everyone has been served. Just hold on to it. Be, be in a state of prayer. Jesus said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Today we're remembering that. Let's all eat. He said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they all, so many of them left. He looked at his disciples, will you leave also? This is his blood. So I'll drink. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, I pray that each and every one of us don't wait for a, a man-scheduled communion service, but that, Father, each and every day we remember your broken body, your blood that was shed at Calvary, and that every day is a communion service for each and every one of us. Father, you have set your table, you have invited us to your table for our daily needs, both physical, mental, spiritual. Father, you've done it all for us. And Father, I pray that because you have made a way for us to go to the very throne of grace, that we will go there with our prayers each and every day. Father, we accept you as our high priest through Jesus Christ. Father, we are so grateful for all that he has done for us. And Father, to show that we are so grateful, we will go out into this world. We will search for those who are lost. 
and we will share the good news of the shed blood of Jesus, of the burial, and Father, of the resurrection. Father, we know He is risen, and Father, we want to get that news out to everybody we know. He is risen indeed. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.